Hello tribe and welcome to the High Order Podcast. This podcast is all about finding yourself through mindset and movement. Our guests will share their struggles of everyday life and how they found a drive to turn their dreams into attainable goals. We are proudly sponsored by CrossFit High Order, an all-inclusive fitness facility in East Haddam, Connecticut, whose focus is teaching movement, building mindset, and education on nutrition. Today, we're going to step away from talking about fitness and talking about nutrition like we normally do. And today, we're going to talk about you. We're talking about me. We're talking about what it is to be a human and the journey of nothingness. And this is going to be a big uh, Alan Watts uh, conversation per se. So uh, welcome, Matt, by the way. Matt, say hi. You're here. Hello. Let everyone know. Uh, that I'm not just, they're not just listening to me today. Um, so Matt records things, uh, ideas, and, and he shares them with me. I make voice memos and I share them with him. And uh, today we, we kicked off one of the ones that came off of my voice memo and and it's one of these things that I get in these deep conversations because I spend so much time alone where where you know I work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week for somebody else um I spend a lot of time alone and I'm totally happy with that but I also like dove into a point where that it could actually be toxic and what I mean by that is is being alone I, being toxic yeah, being alone and, and how it actually can be toxic as much as I can sit here and tell you, hey, like be alone, find some alone time, find some self in your uh, time in your own mind and figure yourself out. There also is that law of diminishing returns that there's a point in your life where you you don't survive by being alone and uh, it's what society is is turning to nowadays. But uh, Matt will, will jive on that in a little bit. But my my thing that I brought up is that I try to be as nomadic as possible. And that's because I, when I was in the military, as much as any military person wants to say that they don't get paid good, they're a liar. Um, we get paid really well being in the military, especially if you do a special duty. Um, like when I was in the bomb squad, we got hazardous duty pay. We got demo pay. We got special duty pay, so we had an extra about a thousand bucks tacked onto our normal pay. We had housing allowances that were, you know, for the area that we're living in, um, that would pay for our mortgage above and beyond what we're paying our, our normal base salary and stuff like that. So, um, I could literally buy anything that I want, and I did, especially when you're gone for six to eight months, tax free. Uh, you end up making a lot of money. And with that lot of money, you have the freedom to buy all the luxuries in life. And I've been through that. But I also wasted a lot of that. And I didn't appreciate what I had at that time, whether it was the people in my life, and I didn't appreciate the money that I was making in my life. And and uh, that's changed over the past five years of owning a business and uh, spending so much time alone. And for me, like it was the fact that being so nomadic could actually be hurting me so much 
and and anything that I say after this is I want you you all to know that like I don't I'm not complaining about this stuff. I'm not upset that that's the way my life is because it's the way that I'm choosing to pick pick the path of my life. Um so I I want to make that clear if I'm saying that I don't have any friends or something like that. It's not a pity party of boo hoo you. Oh my god, life must be horrible. It's the path that I've chosen to help find out who I am. And in that process, I've actually cut people out of my life, but also brought people that align with my life goals in society that I want to surround me in. And when I look at how nomadic I try to be and just strip everything from my life and just live with a minimalist life and buy nothing luxurious, buy your only your absolute needs that you have to have on a day-to-day basis, what it also does is it makes you lose contact with people and you're breaking relationships with people. I ruin friendships and I ruin relationships and I don't date people and I don't do these things and it's because I have this mentality that I have to be nomadic and and maybe that's that's self-reliant. Me, me blaming the military and using the military as my excuse but when I did what I did in the military, I lived out of a suitcase for years and years and years and years. And then when I integrate now back with society, I still have that mentality of I have to live out of a suitcase. I, I can't make any connections with people because, you know, they're going to either get hurt, they're going to die or anything like that. So I push them all away. And if I'm going away somewhere, or I'm going someplace for a long period of time. I cut all my ties with people and I ruin relationships because that's the way that I know I can survive. Rather than dealing with the loss, I cut them out of my life to create the loss early so it's not a surprise and rather than what I've been through. And when that happens, it hurts me and I don't see it. And as much as people will tell me, don't do this, you need to like try and try and bring people into your life I just disregard it it's a blind spot for me it's not a bright spot it's a blind spot and and everyone has blind spots and we need other people around us to show us our blind spots because we're never going to see them it's the same way of driving right you have a blind spot in that mirror but if somebody else is there to tell you, hey, there's a vehicle, there. oh, oh, thank you. You know, I, and it's such a simple concept, but but that's the way it is with me. Like I'm striving to find myself and who I am, but in reality, what I'm striving for is nothingness. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I put I, you on the spot I, right there, and, you know, but no, no, not at all. I mean. You and I are similar in that regard. And after we were talking about this a little bit before we even recorded, I, there's a there's a lot of people that are lonely. They're alone. They're, for some reason, they don't understand why maybe they ended up feeling this way. They don't understand where the feelings come from. And maybe that maybe they might be having that conversation. And it looks like this. They're like, I am feeling like something's lacking. I had this subtle, incessant 
suffering going on. It's like this slow boil all the time in their life. And then they, they hear labels like, maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I need medication. Maybe I need to buy something, add something to my life through consuming or purchasing to make me feel better. And I take the approach of let's look at the system. Let's zoom out and look at our environment and understand where we come from and where we are now based on our environment and look at the f- that we have everything we need, most of us. That's a caveat in this discussion. There are a lot of people out there that don't have the things that they need or want. And they're suffering tremendously. They're homeless. They've been abused. They're in really bad places. There are also probably even more people that are suffering because they're too affluent. They have too many things. And what happens, uh, and this is, this is a pattern. We get so many things that we think that we don't need people anymore. We don't need to rely on people for things. And on a technical basis, on a technical level, we really don't. Technically, we don't. On a real practical level, we don't need people to do things for us when we can just buy technology that'll do it for us. And we have access to our own homes now. We can drive our own cars. Everybody has their own car now. Nobody needs to hook rides with each other. Uh, The society we have now doesn't require that we rely on people as much anymore with technology, with the internet, with... I think it's also fear-driven, though. Everybody needs a house. And and I'm going to... Everybody needs their own... Everything. I'm going to dive even in a little little digression right here, but I mean, 20 years ago, if there's someone on the side of the road stopped, people would stop and pull over to help them, and the help would be accepted. Nowadays, if you pull over to help somebody, they think that you're going to hurt them. Right. So I'm kind of looking at this and saying... You're doing the same thing. What's the bigger picture here, folks? It's that we're isolating ourselves more without even realizing that we're doing it. And you used the word law of diminishing returns a few minutes ago. And I believe that that law of diminishing returns, that happened probably right as the internet started. Internet's great, but... um, we still needed people like 20 years ago in ways that we don't need them anymore for just basic, basic things. We don't need to interact with people as, as much. We, um, we don't talk with people as much anymore. We don't need people who have specialties to fix things because we just buy new things rather than ever repair. So yep. we don't we don't rely on somebody to come and help us out to fix our TV that's broken or our washing machine because it's cheaper just to buy a new yeah. one. I mean, whether or not we're talking about this in a very clear way, the point we don't need to in order for anybody listening to this to dig deeper on their own when they're done listening to this. The principle is that 
we're more lonely, more isolated, more diseased and sick and depressed than we've ever been in probably modern history, if not forever. And the common denominator in this is that we're not relying on each other. We don't need each other anymore to do lots of the things that we have for thousands or millions of years before the last 50 or 100 years. And we're striving. What, for, yeah. what, we're, 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 su- we're, su- we're suffering in silence. And I think Walt Whitman said something like, um, we're desperately, uh, we're basically desperate for human connection. Um, but it's not the, his quote, but that's the meaning of it. And we don't realize it. It's right in our face. It's the same thing we've talked about in prior podcasts where it's very simple. It's a simple sort of solution or answer right in your face. And when we're not connecting with other people, we're not fulfilling a lot of our biological requirements. And a lot of those have to come, a lot of those are just basic things like uh, f- feeling um, connected, connected to other people, to a group, to a tribe. And not through Facebook or instant messenger or text message. We're talking real human contact with people. And it's it's having really disastrous effects on our psyche, on our emotional health and wellness. And I don't have an answer for this. I think my personal like answer for me personally, what I've done is to keep going back to the basic and the simple. And that's talking with people. That's putting away all the crap that I don't need in my life I don't need a lot of things similar to you that are gonna sort of engineer all that human contact out you know what I mean and on top of that too like I grew up in a family um my my grandmother my on my dad's side uh I never met my grandma Dora who passed away when my father was like eight years old and he was raised by his best friend's mom which we always considered a grandma and 100 percent italian family when we would go over i i always grew up in a family that gave hugs when you met somebody you can't just give someone a hug nowadays you can't have that human connection because now it's awkward or what are they trying to get out of it our society has has created this separation for us to be so independent to the point that we are ruining what humanity is as a whole. Mm. We're, we're taking away that aspect. And I'm a bigger dude. And even if I meet someone for the first time, it's I, I, I offer hugs because it's a show that I care that you're a human being. And we have a connection. If you're a friend of a friend, you know, uh, that's it. Like it's showing that I have compassion and care for you as a human being and it feels good and it, and, and naturally yeah it, it provokes the parasympathetic nervous system and also makes people feel insecure at first you know the people that it are, breaks are that silence that. yeah and it, and it, and it reasons, breaks that awkwardness there's of, reasons for that too. yeah and, they feel insecure it's like they'll be 
because you haven't been doing this enough and this is what you really crave. This is what you subconsciously are craving. You want human contact. You want to engage with people. Exactly. And, and we one, don't do that anymore. I mean, when, I, when I see it too is like, you know, I've got a lot of mentors. Um, my life and my friends, and I look at it is, I don't have many friends. And I don't look that... I, I, I'm, once again, it's not a, a pity party. Like, I, yeah, I have tons of friends. I do. I, and I use that that friends thing very lightly. What I'm saying is like when I look at, at friends, I, I look at people that I can help support and give back to and they help and support and give back to me. But what I find a tendency that I have to do is I don't accept help because I'm so set in my mindset that everything I have to do, I have to earn myself and I have to make it through myself because that's the way, you know, my parents have showed me that I can survive alone. And even when at a young age, I've always been independent. My parents were wonderful because they allowed me to do what I wanted to do. They allowed me the independence that I needed as a, as a, a young child. The things that they allowed me to do, I probably would never let my child ever do in life and probably no one else would either. I mean, when I was in high school, I used to leave my house at 10 o'clock to go up to Hartford or New Haven and skate the streets until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I still produced all A's and a couple B's in my report cards. So my parents gave me that freedom. But I look at that and I'd be like, no way in hell nowadays because the world is so violent. But... I, I had carried that into the military and I was able to self-sustain. But now at a time in my life, I need that help. And when I accept and finally accept that help, it feels really, really good to drop a stress of one or two things in your life because someone's there to help you. And the thing is, is like I'm a person who's willing to help other people out. But yet I won't accept help. And in general, as a human being, our goal is to provide help. There's that's yeah, uh, tell, tell me any person to teach. Yeah. Tell me any person, pick any person and, and show me where they're not going to try and help somebody out. And and you could see it in whether it's the, the wildfires in Australia, the amount of people that are reaching out. Like there is even this guy who donated $500,000, this, you know, really wow. rich guy who donated $500,000 to help for that. And then people were pissed at him because he didn't donate more. Mm. And I'm like, what the hell kind of society are, have we come to? What you're saying that- is it takes a catastrophe for, for this sort of biological impulse to kick in where you're just like no it's it's not even that people are suffering now i'm gonna help but but no i'm not even saying that but i'm just saying that like i'm using it as an example that no matter what people are always willing to help like a catastrophe that there's people like we don't even know australia like people don't even know australia don't even know what they're going through but they're donating money to help out or whether they are going to help somebody out but our journey in life you know is we're always trying to find that one thing. We we we, our goal in, goal in life is to try and find that happiness. Which and we're trying, we're seeking something, something yeah. that's out there. We don't know. It, we we call it words like I don't know, like peace or ease or god or something like we're yeah talking, we're, we're always trying to find something you know and there's and the irony is and, and and watts talks about this is that it's 
you know, whether you're religious or not, there's, it makes sense to think about this in terms of you're really just searching to be okay with your life and yourself. You're kind of just searching to know yourself. And we're, yeah, we're, we're looking for that flag that says, this is it. We're looking for, we're looking to climb the mountain, to hit the summit and stand on top of that summit and be like, I made it in life. And believe that that's the And that's it. But it's something that we never, ever reach. And I wrote up a quote on uh, a couple of quotes I stole off the internet and trying to change them around and stuff. And I put this up on our, our back wall. I said, the strongest people are not those who show, uh, excuse me, the strongest people are not those who show strength in front of us, but those who win battles we know nothing about. Everyone has a story. Everyone's fighting a battle to be free from the past, to live in the present and create a meaningful future. Love yourself first, have compassion and kindness to others, and remember, we are all in this together, and we are strongest as a tribe. So I kind of stole the first two from two different quotes I found online, and then I kind of add a little flair towards the end. But the thing is, is that when you're trying to find yourself and when you're trying to find your purpose in life, the purpose and who you are and everything is nothingness. It's what we are right now. And you had a really, really good, really good analogy. Um, and I'd love to have you repeat that. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in Zen Buddhism, and the way I look at Buddhism, I think if you were to like Wikipedia, it would call it a religion, but it's more like a philosophy and there isn't any, there isn't a deity, a God necessarily, but in, in Buddhism, in the Zen tradition, at least a, uh, a, uh, a Zen master might teach, um, a student and the student might come to the Zen master and say something like, you know, I, um, I'm searching for something. Can you help me? And the Zen master might put their closed fist up to the student and hold it closed. And the student acting like a child might look at the fist and think, that's my answer. Whatever he's got in his fist, that's it. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That's why I came to him. That this is, this is what I want. And that student might sit there and stare at that fist for be excited, five seconds. right? He's excited like a child. Christmas and day, just like a child, you stare at that fist, and you're like, "That's the the red button. That's it. I got to find out what's in that fist. He's get he's gonna give it to me. He's gonna give it to me." And that student might sit there for five years, for twenty years, for their whole life, staring at that fist, and no matter how long it is. Once the that Zen master opens his fist, there's nothing. There's nothing inside that, that hand. And the lesson to me is that what you've been searching for is inside you already. Everything that you want 
is already here. It's inside of you, but you just need to realize it. And it's in the present moment. That's the only moment that exists. Everything, you, you really want to just be in the moment and enjoy life. Life is only contained now. Right now, as you're listening to this, that's all of life. That's all it ever has been. Even when the past happened, in your mind, it happened in the present moment. And if the future does come, it's still going to be in the present moment. So <laughs> if you can cultivate an awareness of this present moment, then essentially you're, you're teaching yourself to enjoy life because life is now. As I'm talking, I'm looking at you. This is it. There is no this is what life's about. And on, so so we'll we'll stop that. But then there's another important sort of thing here that comes along with this, and that's that nothing is separate from anything else in 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 life. And you know, take this for what it's worth. It doesn't matter if you are listening to this and you're putting this in some in a category of a religion or whatever your life philosophy is maybe you don't have one maybe you don't think this way and you don't actually take time to to be curious about this stuff i would i would suggest that everybody sit down and think about these things but everything is connected and everything depends on everything um it's interdependent the andrew and i right now we depend on each other whoever's listening to this we all depend on each other the fact that we're here right now is a testament to the to the fact that we've we're all one everything you're looking at everything you're experiencing is one there is no thing that's separate from anything else no thing every everything is one it's just what we so, make it up of <laughs> yeah you know it, in in Zen Buddhism in particular, because I've studied and and practiced and been really interested in this for years. There's um, there's this word thrown around called enlightenment. And. Uh, I think when you first hear that word enlightenment. I, uh, it's, it makes you. Think that it's something you want. I have to get that thing. And that when you get that thing, everything will be okay. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to have everything I want. And I don't have to search anymore for anything. And what, what, what really it, it sort of is, is that you're okay with the present moment. And you come to a deep understanding that we are all one thing at the same time. And if, if you can really embrace that and sort of feel that, then you're really going to, you're really going to understand the value in having relationships with people because you're going to look at a stranger on the street or your family or Andrew over here. And you're going to say, we're all one. We're all doing this together. And you you might even just decide to pull over and look at that stranger as not a threat anymore, but somebody that maybe you care for a lot. 
and it doesn't matter uh, it doesn't matter if you don't know the another person or you're insecure about opening up to them or whatever the fact remains that deep down inside you know that we're all in this together and we need each other and by you buying that big house and having a thousand acres and having that gated long mile driveway secluded in the woods you're doing the opposite you're secluding yourself and you're isolating yourself from that and instead of feeling at one you're unwittingly cultivating a lifestyle where you're separate you're separate from everything the it's it's taken us a lot like a little bit of time to try and explain this because where our mindset is and actually putting it into words is like two different things and you can't really uh, put it, it into you words. can't really put it into words you know but we're going to go back and dive into why everything revolves around everything it's all about revolving around everything and when i talk about i be so nomadic and shut people out of my life and, and stuff like that. Like I, I do it not like on purpose. I do it because that's where my mindset is. Is my Like I said, it's my blind spot that I'm now seeing. And it's really powerful in the sense that when you realize that, that for so many years you've been focused on, you know, for me, continuing on trying to find myself, you know, uh, figuring out all the crap and all the shit I went through with war on five different deployments and wondering what the hell I was doing and what is its value and how did it play on people's lives and uh, all that type of stuff, I realize now I'm also using... Like I said, I, I could blame the military on creating that mindset, but is now am I using the military as an excuse? So now is that's kind of like a full circle right there that because of the military, I became nomadic. Now I continue to be nomadic, but then I blame the military and maybe if I wasn't in the military, I wouldn't have ever had this idea or, or this philosophy. But at the same time, because of that, it allows me to think the way that I am thinking, which is now opening up another door and opportunity to be something else or be better than I am. And whether it's a revolving door, uh, whether it's the the planets revolving around the sun, uh, everything is tied to everything no matter what. And it's it's to me, it's so fascinating because... Once again, I take a huge step in my life of years trying to create this thing that I believe is the way I should live. And then when I get there and I don't realize I'm there until I realize I'm there. And then when I realize I'm there, I'm like, it's well, it's nothing. There, there's nothing. There was no, there was no trophy. There was no finish line. There was no... A celebration there was no accolades being put out there's no social media post there's nothing to wave in anyone's face that says look at me i'm special i made it in this world because it doesn't stop there it doesn't stop at that point and exactly like alan watts says is he talks about that it's it's the nothingness is the nothingness of space 
but yet space contains all the planets, the sun, the, the, you know, all the galaxies in the world. Almost the, all of space is non-planets. It's, yes. It is the it's, nothing. It's, it's nothing. majority of space is space. It's, it, yeah, the nothingness the of space is actually yes. everything yeah. of space. Yeah. And... It's the same thing when it applies to your life and when you go through those hardships and, and I don't and, and take any hardship that you're going through in life right now and and I'm going to use a lot of stuff that ties into a lot of people, whether that's relationship issues, whether that's like, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, you're going through a divorce or a bad breakup or, you know, you have uh, medical problems with your children that you want to help out and stuff like that. That you're going through this process and you're like, it's never going to end. If I could just get to the point where this relationship ends or this healthiness ends uh, or the uh, the sickness of my child ends, that, that when that's over, I'm going to feel this sense of accomplishment and everything's going to go away. And it's exactly like a New Year's resolution. The New Year starts, you're like, yes, I have a fresh start, but you're not a fresh start. You're still carrying over everything from that year before, the year before that, and maybe the 30, 40, 50 years before that, that are all playing an, an important, crucial role on who you are as a human being at the current time. And take, for instance, if you're dealing with um, any problem in your life, and it's something that you can't control. Maybe it's an issue at work. Maybe you have like you're worried about getting fired or laid off and you're sitting and dwelling on this because, you know, they're doing cutbacks or something like that. And you're sitting there and you're like waiting for that phone call, waiting for the phone call. You are now burning up days and days of your life stressing on something that you, one, probably don't have control of or two, it's either come or it's never going to come. And if you sit and dwell on those things that we do as a society today, on dwelling on things that we can't control, there, there becomes a time that you just let it go. And the moment that you let it go, because we've all have been there, when we let it go, we release all that stress and anxiety that we had over something. And we are just at peace with it. And that's what life's about. And if we can take that and turn that into an everyday thing, then you're living life in the moment and you're, you're capable of, of seeing things as they are rather than what you're projecting them as. And then not only do you only, now is it, you're not only taking those things that you're projecting as something that's really nothing, but if you take that same mentality and apply it to a person, a person that maybe you have different religious beliefs, maybe you have different like political beliefs, maybe you have a, a difference of a, uh, opinion on certain things that usually you're going to get fired up and be like, I want nothing to do with that person. But at the same time, that person is exactly just like you. Just like and, you. And, and a good way to look at that is I look at my gym. I look at CrossFit High Order. And if you look at the people that are in my gym, we all hang out together and we all have that similar, similar goal. But if we, we actually look at the demographic of where they fit in, in the political and religious and society, um, your status, your financial status, when you look at all that, it's so vast. It's so over all over the place, age and all that other stuff. And, 
to me, like some of the most important people in my life, my friends, the ones that I consider friends are my mentors. My mentors are my friends. The people that I look up to that I'm learning from are the people I want to spend most of my time with. And, it, and I don't look at them as age. I don't look at them as their, their political beliefs or their religion. I look at them as a human being who has learned something in their life that I need to learn, that I want to grow from, and they do it in a way that's not waving in your face. And that's something that I take as a friend. A person who can teach you something without waving it in your face and telling you, hey, look at me. I got this knowledge and I'm going to show it to you and flash in your face like they need something from it. They wholeheartedly just care about you as a human being and in that they teach you something. And the biggest person I learned this from was my mom. Because any person who takes the time to sit down and have even five minutes with my mom are going to learn a very, very, very valuable lesson without ever knowing anything about her. And what I mean by that is, I've told, talked about this in the past, is that, so my mom has type 1 diabetes and she has rheumatoid arthritis. She is in constant pain on a day-to-day basis. Um, and she should be a person who's miserable in life. And she's not. And that's her belief in her religion. That's her belief in understanding that she's not going to magically heal and be pain-free tomorrow. And she takes it on a day-to-day basis. Even when I ask my mom to complain, she doesn't complain. She is one of the strongest people I ever met. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there's, there, there's few people who have that nowadays of... of what my mom does because everyone wants to complain and throw their stuff out there and be like, Hey, give me the pity party, you know, feel bad for me. I deserve this. I deserve that. And my mom, if you just sit and literally talk to her, she's going to, she, she not only is going to sit and talk to you, she's going to offer you help no matter how much pain she is in, which you'll never even know. She's going to, provide knowledge. She's going to provide love. She's going to provide a food, a warm house, a table to sit at. Um, she's going to do an errand that you need to do no matter how much pain she is in because she's a person that looks at people as a, an individual who cares about life and does not put labels and dissects them on their sex or age or race or anything like that of building this stuff. She is just a person who's wholeheartedly cares for the well-being of humankind. And that is just something that is not many people in general, it's not something that comes common. And it's, it's through the struggles of her life that she'll, she's never talked about that she's gone through all the struggles that are far beyond what most people can comprehend of the stuff that she's gone through from her childhood to growing up to having autoimmune diseases. Yet, she puts a smile on her face every day and when her days are bad, she goes, yeah, I'm doing all right. And she doesn't ever need to. She doesn't ever need to do that. Mm -hmm. She could express all that pain as she should because we should all be there helping her out. But instead, 
she understands that life is about enjoying time with people, enjoying the interaction and connection between human beings and what their purpose is in life. And that's very hard to get to in your life. It's very hard. People strive for that for their, for their, all of their life to get there. And, and, and I'll pass this off to you on this in this sense, but we're always striving to find the peak of the mountain so we could put our flag down and say, I did it. Mm-hmm. But that peak is actually a never-ending peak because life is always changing every single day and your life is never going to be... There's never a point in your life where there's the end until you die. die. That's the end of life. That's the end of your physical life. But you should embrace that death too. And we forget about that. And and uh, like Ram Das was talking about it on, was it Going Home? He has a 30-minute documentary on Netflix. And I highly suggest, please, everyone, go watch that for 30 minutes. A lot of people are not going to get it. But if you just think deep about it and, and listen to the words that he's saying. It's this guy who's literally on his dying bed and he's this guru that's that's talking about life and, and, and being able to open up your mind and meditation. And he's this wheelchair bound because he had a stroke, but people bring him out and bring him into a pool and they, they roll him out into nature. And, and the smile that this guy has on his face on his last days that he's actually talking about his last days of his life and then he dies, right? Like pretty much... Shortly after this documentary was made, he passed away. And he gives some of the best advice that will fly over so many people's heads because everyone's in this super fast, high-speed lane to get where they're going, but there's nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to go because you are in it right now. You are living what we need to live in. Amen. (laughs) We just high-fived because we're cool. Yeah, that mountain, that flag on that mountain is the present moment. When you hit the top of that mountain, where are you? You're still... You still got to make your way down. But you're still right now. Right now is transitory. It's changing. And it's a maybe not a trick is not the right word, but the trick is, is that Accepting that everything's changing every moment, it's a new moment. The second that I try to put my hands on this moment and point to it, it changes. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's the way it has always been, except that you didn't really understand that until now. You didn't understand that it's always been that way until now. And when you get to the top of the mountain, if you never, this is, this is really interesting. It's not a thought experiment because to me, this is the truth. This is how I've been looking at life for pretty much my adult life now. It's that if you can't appreciate right now, this moment, and you're always thinking about that flag on top of that mountain. When you get to that flag on the top of that mountain, which is now, it's going to be the present moment, you're not going to be able to enjoy it because you're still trained to look for another mountain. 
Nope. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pause right in there for a second, and I'm gonna put this one quick sentence in there, maybe two. Okay. When you reach that summit, that is the moment that you realize you're living in the present. When you reach that peak or when you accomplish a goal, you are living in the present because there's a feeling that you get when you reach a goal that's euphoric. And that's how you should try to strive to be in life is if every day you hit a goal, every day you are living in the present. So if you can create a daily goal and you hit that, and you can get that euphoric feeling of being on the summit or accomplishing a pull-up after two years. Take that feeling and try to apply that to your day. And that, But what happens is as soon as we hit that goal, like you said, and you can carry on. Mm-hmm. Instead of appreciating that moment that you're in at that summit, you're like, oh, there's a bigger mountain. Oh, there's a there's a there's a deeper ocean I can dive in. There's a, a further planet I can reach. And we take that away with the society we're in now. We're not appreciative of living in the moment. Or you get or you immediately maybe especially if you've been doing your sport, if it's a sport for a long time, you get critical the moment you achieve your goal, you start to critique yourself and then you move on and you start thinking about your next goal right away. And you're not enjoying it for what it is so prop one of the one of the most frustrating things is to accept and understand this whole idea of the present moment and to me i kind of like chuckle or laugh about it a lot because it's the thing that we're always in all the time and we're always hearing this thing about the present moment we're like present moment what's the present moment be in the moment be yeah, present right. be present all, all the, the cliches that people talk about they never and, actually um, understand you know all, all the stuff we're talking about are just words and we're li- you're listening and you're like you know that's awesome i'm in the present moment okay but actually implementing like this practice of being in the moment is a whole nother ball game, if you will. And there are methods, all right? There's practices. There's, there's things that a person can do to try, and tries inevitably is the wrong word, but to quote unquote, get into the present moment. There's things you can do to help you get into the present moment, which is crazy to say because you're already in it. That's the whole thing about realization. This. That's frustrating. Of it, you're always in it, but what's what's going on is you your your brain is thinking about the past or the future, and it's not. in the present moment. Most of our lives we're living in sort of a schizophrenic state where we're living in a fantasy or a delusion. And we're always projecting this delusion on what's happening in front of you right now. Whether you're driving or I'm sitting across from you, I might be thinking about what I'm going to say next 
and I'm thinking about some idea of a person or a model in my head or a narrative or a book I read, that's keeping me from being fully in the present moment. So back to this methods thing. You know, Ramdas says, R-A-M space D-A-S-S, Ramdas, who, by the way, used to be a Harvard professor in the 60s um, before he moved to India and started his, um, his journey um, with his uh, guru in the 60s, Ramana Maharshi, I think is how you yeah. say it. Um, he came back to the United States and changed his name to Ramdas and the rest is history. But he talks about methods and he's like, every method is just another obstacle to keep you from discovering yourself and being in the present moment. However, it's important as a beginner to consider that there are methods to being in the present moment. One of them is to find a way to not think and shut your thoughts off for even for a second. A really great way of doing that is to um, close your eyes to remove all the visual stimulus around you because a lot of the visual stimulus, uh, it has a lot of labels attached to it and you your brain gets attached to the things you're looking at, like the label on the box over there your or phone, the couch, the phone, Facebook, the, everything. And all of this takes a lot of cognitive energy and it's pulling away from what's the substance of what's in front of you. So you close your eyes and you're always breathing. You have to breathe in order to survive. I'm breathing as I talk. But as I'm talking, I can also follow my breath. As a beginner, you want to close your eyes and not talk. Try to be alone and follow your breath. I'm sure people have heard of this. Maybe people haven't. But there's a tendency to complicate this already. Following your breath is simple. You're breathing. You follow your breath in all the way. And you follow it out all the way. And you focus on just that one happening. It's a happening. It's occurring nonstop from the moment you are alive to the moment you're dead. That breath, that air is coming in and out of your lungs. It's going through your nostrils, your mouth. And it's always happening in the present moment. So if you glue yourself to that, you are essentially, your brain is in the present moment. Here's the thing. After maybe a half a breath, maybe two breaths if you're lucky, maybe 10. If you're really lucky, you might get to five or 10. You're going to fail. <laughs> Your brain's going somewhere else. Your brain's going to go somewhere else. And this is essential for you to fail. You have to fail. This is actually part of the whole practice. It's, this is a practice. It's just like lifting in the gym. Do this, get the reps in. I feel like the more I say, I could complicate this. But I can... I'll, I, will, I will say this, and this is probably the, the simplest and potentially the most life-changing thing you can do with your life is to put the reps in and that's it. 
the more I try to maybe give you instruction on how and who and where and where and why, the more you might use your, your, your monkey mind that you're using now to try to overthink this. And there, that's, you, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure with that. That is one method. There, there are others, but go ahead. One, one thing that uh, all my gym members are going to relate to this is I go around and I'll tell people, awesome job breathing. Like, great breathing. Like, like people think it's ridiculous and they probably might not understand why I say that. But one thing I try to really focus on people who, who are going through a movement. Um, I'll take a wall ball, for instance, because it's the, 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 the one that I see it the most. Is that people have a tendency to hold their breath while they're doing a movement. Because as the body gets into a tough position, it protects itself. So it shuts off breathing so it can do the movement. So what I try to have people do is that they breathe in the entire time they're moving down. And breathe out the entire time they're moving up. What usually happens is they breathe in and they get to a point where they don't feel comfortable. So they pause their breath for a half a second to a second to get to the bottom of the squat, come out of the squat. Then they'll exhale. And then when they toss the ball, they'll stop breathing again. And what happens is because you're putting these little half second pauses in your breath, you're elevating your heart rate because it needs more oxygen. So it's upping your heart rate, which is trying to make you breathe harder. And it makes people stop moving or it makes people rest because they have to catch their breath. And what I also know, and anyone who's been in my class can uh, testify to this, is that if you do the movement and you focus entirely on your breathing, one, you forget about how tough the movement is. You start doing a lot more reps than you thought you could do because you're focusing on the one thing and the breath and the breath is you're living in the present and is actually allowing you to calm your system down, promote the parasympathetic nervous system on the nerd side of things. And you're able to go longer, not because you magically got stronger but you're allowed to move better because you're living in the present and you're focusing on one thing rather than my squat, my breath, my breasts, like I'm on my heels. You're, you're taking all that away. And when you, and you could tie it into Buddhism because growing up, um, I always was interested in religion because there's so many religions out there and everyone wants to say that their religion is right. And I really gravitated towards Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist at all. Uh, I'm not. Um, I'm a very spiritual person who takes in all religions, and I believe in them all. I think, you know, um, Christianity has a a really good, strong base. I think Buddhism, I think, you know, even you read out the the, the Quran, which I have read, they all have a good focus and purpose on how to be a good human being. But with Buddhism, what they talk about and what I didn't get when I was 16 years old reading the Buddhist Bible was I, I couldn't quite understand instant manifestation. And that's what Buddhism is based off of. It's based off of the fact that any thought that comes into your mind when you go into your next life, it becomes instant reality. So if you think a negative thought that a dinosaur is going to come and attack you, 
when you go into your next life and you think that thought, a dinosaur is going to attack you. So you have to create that idea to take away all the negativity in your brain and only think positive thoughts. That's how you become quote unquote enlightened, right? Is that you, 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 you create your brain to get to a point where you can take out all the negativity and you create only positive thoughts in your mind. And I indirectly have been practicing that for years and I'm sure you have too. And because of that, I'm able to take somebody who has an entire opposite idea of everything that I think about and what I believe in, and I can accept them as a human being, and I don't judge them on what they do. And there's an old saying, especially like we do this in the military too, like, well, you say, I, I and I say that because I'm the military, you, you say this everywhere, but like, you know, I don't judge a person by what they do behind closed doors. I don't. Because that's what, that's who they are as a human being. And that's what they're living their life as. It doesn't, because what they do behind there doesn't make them a bad person. Because they do something that you don't approve of, or you don't like, um, doesn't make them a bad person. It's, it's being able to have that idea of not judging somebody on that other aspect. Because guess what? You probably actually need that person in your life. And if you judge them on every single thing they do, you're going to find something you don't like about them and then you're going to cut them out of your life. So you need to be able to try and find a way to create that clarity in your head, live in the present, and take that person for who they are right there with you. And understand that together, if we put our minds, we're going to find a similarity because you could always find a similarity. What is it? The... Uh, the what what is that? The the what is it? Kevin Bacon or someone says that like the six degrees of separation or seven degrees of separation, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? You always have something in common. You're always going to know somebody else who's who, somehow through six people you're going to be related to the president or uh, you're going to be related to the pope or related to somebody somehow some way through six degrees of separation, and it shows that we're all interconnected. So once again, mm-hmm. we work as humans. It's a like a bacteria. Like a virus, like anything that you want to look at. People want to look at viruses as a bad thing, but in reality, like you could look at viruses as a good thing too. They all have their purpose. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of deadly like viruses out there, but it also helps control human population. It's 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 you know, and as silly as it sounds, you're like, well, that that's dumb. And we create these vaccinations and all this other stuff to prevent that, but realistically, like. Everything has a purpose. Everything revolves everything. We have to have the good with the bad. We have to have good and evil. And whether you want to put that with religion, whether you want to put it with life and death, whether you want to put it with disease, whether you want to put it with something like that, the fact is is that we have to live with the good and the bad. And we have to accept that as fate. So when somebody dies, we have to also look at it as a positive thing. And so many people look at death as a negative. And when you finally accept death as something as the end of your life, and, 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 and if you really want the good ac- explanation, watch that documentary of uh, Ram Das, because he talks a lot about embracing death. And he talks about that right as he's dying, like as his life is ending, he is talking about embracing death and, and, and respecting it and, and, 
and cherishing that aspect of life rather than bringing that negativity into that aspect of it. And, yeah, and, it, and know. it's just, it's, it's super freaking powerful. And I think people in general, if, if we could teach that lesson of living in the present and it's not something we can teach, it's something that you have to find on your own. You have to be able to find where you live in the present. And I'm going to tell everyone right now, when you reach your goal, whether that's your New Year's resolution or some sort of goal, I want you to think at this moment, that feeling that you have, that euphoric feeling of happiness and success, and take that and try and carry it on to the next day. Apply it on a day-to-day basis. And one thing that I also want to talk about too is, I said we're not going to talk about fitness or nutrition, but we're going to touch a really short base on this because they're a perfect example. We have spent our life, uh, I don't want to say we have spent our life, but we spent a long time trying to figure this stuff out. And we are both not professional athletes or professionals or... Uh, part of an anything. yeah, an expert or are at the pinnacle of our sport in any way. We're like or, or you, what we're we are trying like. to figure this stuff out. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but what I've noticed is that when you have those people who are at the elite level of their sport or whatever they do, when they miss their goal or they don't make what they believe they are going to make or win the championship. They crash harder than anyone else. They go, they have a higher rate of suicide, depression, anxiety. They fully go, yeah, substance abuse, everything. They fully go in the entire opposite direction. And it's because they have, they're so dialed in into being the best that they are losing that present moment of just being like, it's okay to miss. It's okay to fail. Yeah. Um, it is okay to fail. And it's necessary. You need to fail. And it's not something that you should be scared of. It's not a word you should say. It's made up. And think it's, um, a, a, have, it's a negative thing that you should be afraid of. It's... Um, it's life. It's, it is life. You're doing it all the time. You're failing at things all the time. And suppressing it or trying to act like it doesn't exist or not admitting it or hiding from it or whatever you want to call it, it makes, uh, it creates more of like a neuroses around it like more of a disorder around you and your relationship to failure. It, it probably compounds it. It makes it more um, prominent inside you where um, and the opposite would be to just be okay, be more transparent about your relationship to failure, success, um, understand that you're not alone and everybody goes through it. And that no matter what you suppress in your life, whether it's failure or anything, it could be 
you're gay and you don't talk about it and you suppress it. Whatever you suppress the most in your life, that's the thing that's going to cause the most tension. It's going to build the most pressure and eventually it's going to pop. And um, I won't go down this rabbit hole, I promise, but an example of this would be pedophile priests in the Catholic Church. They're suppressing this sort of sexual problem they're having and they molest boys or and they suppress that that catholic sort of edict i think is the word that says you're not you're supposed to be celibate as a priest and that tension builds to the point where it just blows up and now you have an epidemic of pedophilia in religion and that that same principle as crazy as that example sounds they're just human beings like all of us so whatever you're suppressing the most that's probably the thing that's that does that skeleton in your closet or whatever it is that you don't want to talk about. That's the one thing that's going to bug you and it's going to build tension in your life to the point where it's going to pop and it might manifest into some sort of addiction, suicide, depression, a disease, something, something along those lines. Where, where were we going right before you mentioned that though? Was it about um? It was about highly successful people, they fall the hardest, is what you were saying. Yeah, and so yeah, you know it. Put uh, putting their putting your goals in perspective, and and coming, uh, being at peace with the fact that what you're in the present moment and understanding that and being okay with it and you know working towards your goal while you're in the present moment. And acknowledging it every day and, and letting that be sort of like a guiding beacon in your life. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life, whether you're a professional athlete or not. When you reach that goal or you fail at that goal, whether you're in the Olympics or you missed going to the gym, it's not going to, it's not going to be like falling off a cliff because guess what? You're still in the present and you've developed a good relationship with the present and it's going to be okay. It's fine because it's just another present moment you're just still in the moment it's not the end of the world you failed you move on life is like a river a stream and you're just going down the stream don't swim against the current because uh it doesn't (laughs) going against the stream is pretty much what most people do on planet earth every day and they're not letting go and just enjoying the ride just the ride is the present moment and you can't fight it you're always in it coming to that realization is like liberating. And if you fail at a goal and you're in the present moment, it's like, uh, all right, cool. That sucks, but you get over it much quicker. You get it and it does, it's not the end of your life. It's not black or white, success, fail, yes, no, go, no, go. It's more like, oh, well, you know, I'll set another goal. Uh, I'm still alive. And people still love me. And the gym's still there. I still got my body and my health. And it's, it, it's folks, it, in my mind, it's really more, it's, it's really is that simple. <laughs> we're, try, we're, I, I, we're, we're spouting these things out. And I'm sort of like being playful with it because it really is kind of just a, a playful thing. Um, you're you're in it right now. This is it. This is the present moment. 
accept it. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm laughing at myself mostly because it, it sounds kind of ethereal and hard to grasp, but um, it's really everything. And maybe we could have a whole nother podcast on this whole idea of a method and, and how to practice being in the present moment. And one of those methods was to follow your breath. And you know, even the, the toughest, most uh, successful people on planet Earth, doesn't matter if you're a 400 pound world record holder in the deadlift and you've deadlifted a thousand pounds, uh, the hardest thing that person will ever do is to try to follow their breath for 10 seconds. And I'm not even joking. It's, and I didn't just make that up, but if you want to give yourself a challenge in life, sit down and be with yourself for a short period of time, follow your breath, shut your mind off, and don't try. Your breath's always coming in and out. You don't need to do anything. All you got to do is just focus on your breath. That's it. You know, Simple. I want to, if you take a look, because. Uh, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Yeah, Mr. Bobby Chulo <laughs> is playing around with us right now. Uh, he's waking up out of his little shell because he wants uh, some screen time or some uh, talk time. So, uh, but uh, t- I like to take a look at dogs, though. Dogs embrace pain. Animals embrace pain. And when they're dying, it's not like the way that we die. When animals die, they know they're dying. They accept that death. They go to be alone and walk into the woods and and die. And it's not this like huge, oh my God, um, the world's ending type of mentality. It's this is a stage of life where you're at. This is a stage of life of what it's about. And we're not trying to make this all morbid or anything like that or like... Well, no, the, actually, that in, in this culture, it is a morbid thing and it's a scary thing, death. But and there's plenty of examples all around the world where it's celebrated. It's, um, it's a time to celebrate the person's life and to come to the understanding that we need to die in order to live and that if we didn't die we wouldn't be here now we we would have way too many human beings on this rock we would all fall victim to famine disease scarcity of resources and that's the truth we can't live forever we have to die and if you have um experienced loss it's a really good way to um reconceptualize it and be um, grateful that we are all dying. We need to die. We need to, to pass on our legacy to other people and to leave here so that others can live and survive. It's necessary. It's pretty much, it's like a duty. I mean, we can't stick around forever. You know, and, 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 and I, I've experienced loss. I know you have too. And I can say this and sound totally, you know, Mr. Know-it-all about it, but. The truth is, is that if I go to a funeral, I am um, more stable, I guess you would say, about it when I when I think about it this way, that we have to, this person's passing away in order for other people to live. That's just the truth of it. We can't all be here forever. We wouldn't live. And if you talk to a lot of people who work in hospice, you know, they truly enjoy their work 
spending those last days with a human being because the lessons you learn from someone who knows that their days are hours away from That's dying. That's a great point. Yeah, I've heard people the, 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 do this for I, a profession that talk about Yeah, this. like people who work in hospices. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, like I think about it, I'm like, oh, I yeah. would never want to do that because it's got to be really tough. Yeah. But the people who actually work in hospices enjoy their job so much because what they get out of somebody who's literally on the verge of dying is something that they will never ever experience or get anywhere else in life and there's no other place in life to experience that and when somebody has accepted death as that's the part of their life the amount of lessons you learn from it I can't even explain and I can't even I can't even come to imagine but and the one very last thing is that the people who who um one person in particular I can't remember his name who works in hot in this field in California who is highly regarded in this sort of profession he um spoke about uh statistics people dying um I'm just babbling here, but he, he said that the majority of people on their deathbed, almost all of them, they all talk about how they wished they had spent more time with certain people, with a loved one, and that they love them more and that they receive love more. I mean, think about that for a second. You know, they're on their deathbed. That's your moment of truth. And they all will voice the same concerns. They'll have regrets and they'll say, I wish I had spent more time with this person or that person. It's something to consider. It's not a morbid thing. That we gotta, it's kind of a, a, a put on your big boy pants topic and just kind of grow up and understand that. And That really is what's most important. And one thing it that ties I... ties it back into what you said earlier about, you know, b- believing that we can go through this alone, but we can't. And, and, and exactly, and that's exact proof is that yeah. people on their dying bed say that they wish spent, they spent more time with people. And one thing I noticed is my, you know, for, for five years of, of, you know, on this gym, um, I've never really made a lot of time for my parents mm-hmm. because I've always put work in front of everything. And they've always asked me, like, let's spend time, let's try and hang out once a week and stuff like that. And I'm just always like, I'm too busy or I'm, I'm going and going and going and I don't have time. And those were all just excuses I made. And recently, in the past month or so, I, I make it a priority. I literally put them into my schedule, my parents, on a weekly basis to hang out with them. Whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's a couple hours. And I involve them in every aspect of my life. Because one thing that I've noticed of doing that is it allows me to have a little more peace in my life. And... I learn from them a lot more and it's nothing I couldn't have started years ago, but I instantly put what I thought was most important in my life first, but it wasn't. How many times a year do you visit your parents on average in the last 10 years? Uh, I don't really know that number, but I, let's say you do 12 times a year. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but now, now it's, now it's like a weekly basis. Well, for anyone listening, if you see your parents one time a month, 12 times a year, and they're 60 years old, and maybe they live to their 72, 12 times 12 more years, 144, 144 more times you're going to see your parents before they die. 
That's not a lot. If you visit with them for three hours every time you see them, you do the math. Is that morbid? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's the. That's the. That's the truth. So, all, what what we really want you guys to like think about is, is trying to find that present to live in and understand that everything is connected to everything, and that we need humans to survive. You need the interaction. So, if you are that introvert, which I'm a huge introvert, um, if you are that person try and get outside your your shell and and i'm an extrovert in my job i am really good at being an extrovert but ultimately i'm a person who is an introvert but just because you're an introvert doesn't mean that you can't find a couple people to hang out with that make you feel alive or make you have that worth so go and contact someone like call somebody up right now and somebody who's made an impact in your life and i think this is you know i hear this from a people some of my mentors occasionally they're like stop what you're doing right now and call up your parents and just tell them that you love them or call up a sibling and say that or tell a friend um how important they are to you because it's silly and sounds dumb but when you do those things it makes them feel like they have a purpose in life and like kind of like the quote I talked about earlier is we're all fighting battles that no one knows about and you being that person who reaches out and says thank you for you know caring about me and thank you for helping me be me might be that thing that changes them from being negative to positive or it might be somebody who's you know, on the verge of committing suicide and they change their idea just because you said that you care. Remember, we are stronger as a tribe. We're stronger as people in a society together. And don't use society and don't use social media as just a thing to be a troll and point fingers and like pick a fight. Use it in a positive way and promote that positive aspect of humankind. That's the only way we're gonna stop all the negativity in the world is to just start being positive and highlight the positivity of our life. Love it. Well, uh, we uh, once again did not stick close to a half hour at all, but this one's really deep. This one's really deep for you guys. It's kind of a little bit off topic, but that's, you know, we want to, we want to like really talk about the things that approach our mindset. And um, this is one that plays on us a lot. And it's after that that depressive holiday, the start of the new year, we're in a positive mood. But carry this stuff on with you guys. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Shoot us a message. If you have any comments, uh, please send us. Uh, you can send an email out to andrew at crossfithighorder.com or get on any of our social media and reach out to us that way. We'd love to answer your questions. Thanks for listening. And uh, In the near future, we're going to try to maybe make a date and a location where we can all meet up as a tribe face-to-face and maybe take a cold plunge or a workout. Heck yeah, we'll do a do cold it. plunge. Cold plunge and uh, we'll do it in February. We'll set up a date for on our next Roger podcast that. and uh, we'll all come out, do a little plunge. And if not, just Thanks come out listening. and hang out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.